Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. This is God's Word. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. That's the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us in darkness, but you have revealed yourself to us. And that revealing has come through your inspired word that we now can read and meditate on together. We thank you that we can be called your people, although we are sinful, although we are corrupt. You have come to us through Christ, through his atoning work, and you have brought us near. You have given us fellowship, and by that fellowship we can now call you Father. And so it is our prayer, Lord, that uh, what we do not see in this text, that you would show us. And if you show us anything, show us Christ. In his name we pray. And amen. And amen. So, for those of you that haven't uh, been here through this book. I really can't recap the last two months. Um, I probably could actually, but it would take me three hours instead of the 45 minutes I have. So I'm not going to do that for you. But through the book of Ruth, we'll just try to, uh, I always try to give a recap. We'll try to, we'll try to do this if we can. Through the book of Ruth, we have traced this redemptive theme of Ruth and Naomi who were uh, left widows, who had nothing, and who went back into Israel after leaving uh, because of a uh, famine. And we have traced that thread of uh, redemption of Ruth and uh, Naomi. The redemption that Boaz is going to give them, him being a uh, kinsman redeemer. We have seen play out through uh, the scenes in Ruth, this very short and beautiful little book. We have seen scenes play out that seem, and we have tried to stress this through the book, like everyday life, right? And that's what they are, everyday life. Just certain things. You go out to the field and you glean, you go to the gates and you sit, right? We've seen these different instances with Boaz and Ruth. And yet we have seen that through that thread that the Lord has worked uh, in all of it. And all those simple things in these people's lives, God has worked through it. And we've tried to see that for our lives today, that in the mundane things of our life, understanding that God is sovereign in all things. When we first opened this book, that's one of the themes I tried to stress, is God's sovereignty in all things, is that it's in the mundane things of our life that God is working. Right? You go to your job and you think, well, this is just another Monday. Right? I can't wait till Friday. Right? This is how we view our work week. I'm just going to go through these actions day by day, they really don't have any meaning, right? I just do them. It's a have to. And it's in all of those things. And even in the suffering in life, we've seen that especially in the book of Ruth, it's in the suffering in life that God works for our betterment and for His glory. Our betterment, His glory. His glory being the most important thing there. A lot of times we can't see that, especially in the midst of suffering. If you've ever experienced loss, of this magnitude, of this kind, it's easy to ask the question of why have these things happened to me? Why has this suffering, this pain, perhaps it's sickness, 
come upon me in this way? Why does my family have to suffer in this way? Why, financially, why do we struggle in this way? And yet, even through those things, God works for our betterment and for His glory. Doesn't mean it will be great at the time. None of us like suffering, but it does mean that there's it's purposeful and God is in all of it. And we can take hope in that, knowing that we're not in, alone in times of need, in times of struggle. Probably none of us here, maybe some, I don't know all of our lives, have experienced something as bad as being left destitute. And thinking to yourself, I have no hope in the world. There's no one left. And that's what we had seen at the beginnings of this book. Naomi herself had told her two daughters, I have no more sons for you. Go back to your family. And we had seen one of them go back. We had seen Ruth uh, stay with her mother-in-law. We had seen this change in her heart. And because of that, we had seen the love that come from Ruth for Naomi. We had not seen it stay there. I remember she gave that great uh, uh, proclamation on how her God would be her God and when she dies, she would die with her. And if she didn't do that, let the Lord strike her down. Right? Per- phrasing that she would die if she wouldn't stay with Naomi and because of that it had brought her to Boaz's field at a certain time and because of that Boaz had been gracious to her Boaz had been a kinsman redeemer she had went to Boaz on the threshing floor uncovered his feet very weird little situation we looked at there that no one understands right symbolizing the fact that she needed covering Boaz had said this there's one closer we had talked about that uh, way of love that puts one's uh, that puts someone else's interests interests above oneself, right? Boaz just didn't simply say, "Well, of course, I'll take you to myself." He said, "There's one closer." That brought him, like we said before, to the gate, and it so happened, right? We we talked about that before. This happenstance that the very redeemer that he spoke of walked by the gate at that time that he was sitting there, right? And they had had this back and forth. He had told him that Elimelech's land was for sale. The man had said, of course I'll buy it. It's more property. He had then told the Redeemer, well, Ruth the Moabite comes with it. He had said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not going to buy that land because uh, at least my own inheritance be impaired. And what he meant by that, as we had talked of it a little bit before, that the first son of Ruth would have not technically been his. Deuteronomy 25, it would have been off Elimelech's, right? It would have been off uh, Ruth's late husband. That would have been his son, technically. And so you you risk the chance, right, if you want your own lineage, that especially at this time, right, death was very, very common, right? You could die of anything. That if that son was the only son he had, in a sense, his name would be gone, you see? So there's a risk here. It's a risk that Boaz was willing to take, it's a risk that that Redeemer was not. And we spoke of that last time as being uh, very interesting because his whole stick in that was, I don't want to lose my name. And he's unnamed in the book. <coughs> right? His whole stick was, I don't want to lose my name. I want to keep this lineage. And it's gone. We don't even know his name. He's just called friend and a Redeemer. Right? Whereas Boaz was willing to take that chance. Even if his heritage, right, his father's, be gone because his only son was from Ruth, he was willing to do so. And in seeking to keep that heritage, right, he had forfeited the right to be a forefather of King David. 
And more than that, he had forfeited the right to be a forefather of the Christ himself. Right? You see, in this, in this struggle to, to keep power, he had lost it. We looked at that last time. Many different things in this book. So that had brought us to Boaz uh, redeeming Ruth. We've seen that great proclamation from Boaz that he would indeed redeem Ruth. And she had, they had been married. She had bore him a son. His name was called uh, Obed. His name was Obed. Uh, servant. That's his name. Servant. It's believed to be the short form of Obadiah, servant of the Lord. And we had left off last time talking about how that's very strange because uh, the father uh, there, his name was what? Elimelech. God is my king. Elimelech. God is my king. Why was that? Why, why do we stress that? Because he left Israel. <laughs> His name was, was God is my king. And he left the place where it seemed as though God reigns. We understand God reigns everywhere. But to the Jews, this is Israel, right? And he left there, even though his name was God is my king. And so we, what we had seen is this redemption here, not only in that, but in the man who, although his name was God is my king, didn't treat God like king. You see? And so we have this servant of Yahweh, this new babe coming up, the servant of Yahweh. And we had dropped off last time at verse 17. Now, it took everything in me, and most of us, what we want to do is 18 through 22. And what I've seen most people do is when they preach through and teach through columns like this, they would just include 18 through 22 in that greater half of four and continue on. Right? It's something that I can tell you I thought of very much. Just lop it in with that. Let's move on. It's a genealogy. But <laughs> what we come to today is this genealogy. And I don't want to just, you know, bear down here, but I do want us to see some things that are important in this. And that, first of all, would be in verse 18, just ask the question, why? <laughs> right? So 17, what had been told us at the end? 17. Woman, the neighborhood gave him a name, saying a son has been born to Naomi. Notice the son is born to Naomi, not Ruth. Why? Right? Because he's a redeemed child. Right. You see, there's a sense in which Naomi has a son again. Okay, Deuteronomy 25, you can look back there. They named him Obed, who's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Right? Right. It already told us right there. Well, there's, that's it. And the reason this is important, even further back, for those of you that haven't been here, I took like two and a half years to teach through the book of Judges. And so through that book, we had seen this need. Right. And Ruth is set in that same time period as the Judges. Right? Anarchy abounds. We had seen the need for uh, a king. Judges uh, 20, 21 I think, 22, and 20 had left us off with that saying. At that time there was no uh, king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So through all of Judges and through Ruth, there's this deep need for a king. There's this deep need for someone to come and keep the covenant. Not only keep it, we've seen men that kept it for a time in the book of Judges. Keep it indefinitely. That's what we need. We never could find it. Every judge that came up, they fell like the rest. Right? Every ruler that came up, they passed away. Either they died, right? Right? And they couldn't keep it indefinitely because they had limitations on their own life. 
or they apostatized mm. and they went after the foreign gods. Right. right? We've, seen, we've seen that time and time again. It's just this recapitulation of them rising and falling. And so that's important. That's what he left us with. And here's the king. Over the grandfather of the king. That's what we're looking for. Right? And it seems as though we could leave it right there. Like, hey, that's what we've been looking for this whole time. Right? I've been talking about it for almost four years now. Three years. Right? Here's the king. Brandon said we needed a king. Here's our king. Case closed. That's not what we find. We go on into a genealogy here to show you just exactly how these things happened. Just exactly how these things came about. And I believe truly that what the author here is doing is he's showing us this great picture, right? Of everything that we've seen so far, if you're reading through the Bible, he's showing us this great picture of what God is doing throughout time in that this, just like Ruth, right? In those mundane things God is working, it's like that in everything. Mm -hmm. It's like that in all of history. Not only the history of the Bible, the history of the world, right? God is working in these minute, small things. These things that we think have no purpose, God is at work in them. And so we get this snapshot in 18 through 22. In 18, we start off the generations of Perez. These are the generations of Perez. We're going back. What the, what the, what the author here does is he goes back to Perez. He goes forward to David. And there's a reason for that, right? He's going back to a story just like the book that seems like it's nothing but woe. Right. Does anybody know the story of Perez? Genesis 38. Judah and Tamar's son. Yep. Judah and Tamar's son. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what? Nailed it. Yeah. She nailed it. Wouldn't have got that. She nailed it. So there's what this story is, is Judah had a son. Ur, I believe it was, was his first son. He was so wicked, God killed him. We don't know why. Just He was obviously very wicked. God just struck him dead. And that was Tamar's first husband. She didn't have a husband. And so uh, he had told one of his other sons to go and own it, I believe it was, to go and to uh, redeem her and give her a child. Well, Onan had did everything but give her a child. I'll leave that there. right? He had done everything with her but give her a child because he was worried about his own name. You see? And so because of that, Judah had told her, well, wait for my other son. Wait for my other son to come up and uh, uh, Selah, I believe his name was, and he will give you a child. But time goes on, Tamar's left alone. Right? He grows up, nothing's said. She hears that he's going on a journey, and so she takes off her mourning robes and covers her face and goes on the way. And when Judah comes across her, he thinks she's a prostitute. Right. And inquires of her services. Right? So she says, well, what will you give me? He says, I'll give you a livestock. I'll give you a ram. And he gives her his staff and his ring, his signet, something you would stamp with, right? As uh, uh, earnest money, right? As I will bring back a goat for you. And so through that, she becomes pregnant. It's through that exchange that she becomes pregnant. And after some months go on, uh, he did not know it was Tamar. And so his servants tell him, they say Tamar's pregnant. And he says, well, we'll kill her. (laughs) 
right? Because she's been unfaithful. Right. Judah, who had slept with a prostitute, not thinking that it was Tamar. And then she shows the signet and the staff and the cord, showing that it was her and that it was Judah's child all along. Right? That's right. Very peculiar story. Very peculiar story. You can't read the Bible and see things like this and not think it's peculiar. It is. Right? That's not blasphemous. It's, it's peculiar. Right? But this is how God is working. And this is the name that is mentioned here. Why do I mention this? <laughs> because when I, if I just told you that story, you would think to yourself, what good come of that? I know, right? It doesn't seem as though any good did. Like, she had twins, right? One of them being Perez there. But it seems as though besides that, like, what good comes from that? And yet here we have him listed in this lineage of the king. Of the king that we need to stop the very anarchy in the midst of which Perez was born. That's crazy. You see? This is how God works. God works in these ways. It's the ways in which we would not work. Right? Exactly. My ways are higher than your ways. Right? Who of you would think to do something? No one. Mm-hmm. You would think, we'll make it very clean cut. I'll have this one lineage of family. I'll draw them all the way to the Christ. I'll give them the Christ. Right? Hook, line, and sinker. That's not the way that God works. Right? We can see this tangled web in which God is working. And we can see these sinful men time and time again fail. And yet through everything, God works. We'll see that later on when we look at the lineage of Christ there. And this is what, how God worked through Perez, through Tamar, and Judah. Although it was not good circumstances, God works in it nonetheless. Although Ruth was not good circumstances, she's a Moabite woman, right? They had left. The very, the very reason that Ruth was a daughter-in-law to Naomi is because they had left Israel. Right. You see? That's not good circumstances. It's sinful on their part. And yet through all of that, God works for the betterment of us. And through all that, God is seeking out those in whom the Christ would come. In whom the King would come, David. And who the King of Kings would come, Christ Himself. And so that's the picture we're getting here. He starts out with Perez there. Now in between, we get all these other names. That's that lineage there. Boaz being a part of them. And then he caps it, and this is what he's trying to do here. He caps it with David. Like we had said before he caps it with David that answer to that problem that we had spoken of before Judges 21 20 there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes David is the king that the people need right David is someone that's going to come along and it's even said he's going to be a man after God's own heart right that's the that's the man that God was seeking God was seeking a man after his own heart and he finds David. The question could be there, why? Why? We've come to this king, he's after God's own heart. The reason for that is, is that David loved and desired the same things in which God loved and desired. Right? And that's how it should be for us. You can just see that in Psalm 19. Let's see what time we're at. Yeah, we'll go there. Psalm 19. Psalm, excuse me, Psalm 119. It's a little bit bigger. 
A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> this is not the psalm you want to be given for the scripture reading for the morning. <laughs> it may take you a little while. <laughs> this is believed by some traditions. We don't know if it's true or not. But it's believed to be a, a diagram in which the alphabet was taught to the king's sons. Right? And in that, the way of righteousness. Right. In that, the layout of how you live your life. 11946. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. This is a man after God's own heart. This is a man that seeks the things that God seeks. Right? That loves the things that God loves and in return hates the things that God hates. This is a man that's been raised up to be this king. David looked great. So much potential in him. The man that wrote psalms just like this. A man who loved God, it seemed, in all his ways. A man who was not only uh, great and loved God and treated people kindly, but was a great warrior. Mm-hmm. Right? See some of his exploits just as a child, defeating Goliath, right? We understand that that's God working through him, just like we've seen with the judges. We've seen this thread all through his life. And we as well, in our time especially, should pray for godly leaders like this. Leaders that love God's law, right? Leaders that most of all fear God. Right? We should pray for that. It's something we're liking of in this day. The reason I mention this is as great as David was, right? We, we cap off this genealogy I'm just, uh, with David, right? As great as David was, he was not the one. Mm-hmm. He was not the one. And we've been looking at it uh, within time, right? We understand that Christ is the one that's going to come and ordain. But we've been looking at all through Judges and uh, all through Ruth there, and we will into First Samuel. Is this the one, right. right? Is this the one that's going to come and put an end to all this turmoil, to put an end to all this chaos? It looked as though David was it, right? Of any of them, it looked as though David was it. A man who wrote great psalms, a man who was great in war, Yet we know that David wasn't. Why? He sinned. He was sinful himself. We've read it before. A man cannot save himself, let alone another. Right? Right? That's what the psalmist says. A man cannot save himself, let alone another. Right? He is simply a man. And we see this in great detail in that what the Messiah, what the head crusher, as we will see, was meant to do was to break down that enmity between man and God, that sin that had come in between them, and reunite the fellowship that they had within the garden. We see this cannot happen with David, one, simply because he sinned, two, because when he desires to build a house for God, God tells him no. Right. David says, I've done all these great things. Let me, let me reunite. Right? This is what David's thinking. Let me reunite this fellowship that we have. Let me give you a permanent place to dwell and we can go and we can be with you. Right? God says, you can't do it. No. Too much blood on your hands. Right? You're too sinful. You're too sinful to accomplish this task. Right? 
David wasn't in. In all his great exploits, he couldn't reunite man and God, right? Even in a physical sense, right? The temple's not it. No. The temple wasn't even close to it, right? And David couldn't even do that, right? We need to see these things. Why? Because our love and appreciation for Christ grows. It grows in every instance that we see the failure of man. And what you'll do is this, is you'll let go of any hope within yourself and you'll cling to Christ more. And that's what we have to do. All through our life, we have to let the go of our hope that's within ourselves, that's within our society, right? Well, maybe just a better president will fix the way these things are. I hope we have a better president, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's not going to fix the, th- the way things are. Not in any, any way of permanence, right? It's only in Christ. We have to let go of these things and seek Christ. If you want to read more on that, um, 1 Chronicles 28, I believe it is. David kind of goes into those details there, why he couldn't build the temple, and he gets all the supplies together in order for Solomon to build that temple, right? So Solomon builds it there. He could not restore fellowship between God and man, which was what was needed. The whole thread of what we've been looking for is Genesis 3.15. Right. Right? First good news. Genesis 3.15. Right. We'll just read it there. This is what had been promised after the fall of man. This shows you, just see something of the grace of God here. Man had just uh, disobeyed God completely, right? God had sent them out of the garden. And God being so gracious, so loving, and so kind, doesn't leave it there. <laughs> could He have? He could have. Absolutely. Yeah. You best believe He could have. But what does He do? He makes a promise, right? He binds Himself to this promise, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. Right? This is what we've been looking for. Known as the head crusher. Right? We've been looking for this head crusher. Where is He? Right? Is He this judge? No. Is He this judge? No. This judge? No. Right? Is he this man that seems righteous? He's not. He still has sin. Is he this great king? He's not. He can't restore fellowship. Right? Time and time and time and time again until it tires you out. Until you think, well, so many years have passed. There's no hope. Right? We're stuck like this forever. Right? Surely some thought that. This is the promises that have been given. Uh, again, we see promises to Moses like this, right? Moses comes up on the scene. I can't go through every one of them, but this, this is the theme of the Bible, right? This is the Bible. Yeah. You go through this theme again in Deuteronomy 18. In Exodus, Moses looked like he had great potential, right? But he wasn't it. And Moses understood that. Moses understood surely there's more. You see, surely there's more than this. And God helps him. Right? He gives him promises. He says, there is. is. Hold on. There's more than what you are seeing. Right? There's going to be more come about here. Let's see. Deuteronomy 18.15 The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. 
just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see the great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, you are, you are right in what you have spoken. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. You see, Moses had said, well, listen, I'm not it. I'm not it, children. I'm going to die. I'm going to be gone. Not only that, but even while I'm alive here, I'm sinning. I'm failing you, yeah. right? I can't keep this covenant that God has given. God says, don't worry. There'll be one that comes and he'll keep it. Yeah. He'll keep that covenant. You see? He will, he will break down these walls that you cannot break down. Right? This is the promise of the Messiah. When he comes, blessings to the covenant keepers. Right? Judgment to the covenant breakers. We see this in the man Christ Jesus. Right? And all that he did. People say, well, how, how could Jesus be so harsh in this place? It's what he was sent to do. Blessings to the covenant keepers, right? Wrath to the covenant breakers. Right. Right. And we understand you're only a covenant keeper because you're united to him. Right. You're only a covenant keeper because you're united to the one who keeps the covenant indefinitely. It's Christ himself. Right. Right. Big things we're dealing with here, but very important. We read over these genealogies, we think nothing of it. We think, yeah, that was David. Right. We don't give it another thought. This is redemption. This is their redemption in a physical sense. This is your redemption in an eternal sense. Right? right? It's what we hope in. So, that was the promise to Moses. Moses wasn't it either. As great as he was. Going back. <coughs> Excuse me. So the question may be, when we leave it there, where can we find this head crusher? Right? Where can we find this one that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent that affected us over in Genesis? Right? If he's not in the palace, then where is he? Right? He's not in the castle, as we would say. Where is he? Surely he would be there in the castle. We couldn't find him. David's not it. Solomon's not it. Right? Even in his glory. Sinful. So where is he? Just like Ruth in these mundane things of life that don't seem to have any significance. He's not found in the castle, in the palace. He's found in the manger. Right. Amen. <laughs> you see? He's not found in the castle where we thought we would find Him, but instead He's found as a small babe in the manger. Yeah. As having no place to lay His head. He's found in a man who came not to be served, but to serve. Right. You see? Not as the people of Israel thought He would come. right? As Josh has been dealing with, the disciples struggled with this so much because Jesus was so different to how they seen the Messiah. Right. How they grew up thinking of, this is how the Messiah will be. Jesus was totally different. Mm, yeah. right? How can it be this carpenter who has no house? Right? How can it be this carpenter who seemingly has no wealth or didn't have no wealth at all? See, it baffles our human understanding this is how god works the genealogy that we see here praise the lord is not a complete genealogy <laughs> if all you had was that and we've said it before you need to think about it if all you had was this genealogy let me tell you you would be without hope in the world right you have david that's who your trust is in you are damned mm -hmm. i uh, 
assure you that's not the end but that's all that they had at the time that was written that's all that they had it's not all that we have Matthew chapter 1 Matthew chapter 1. We go through all of the Old Testament longing and never seeing. Longing and never seeing. Right? Great men rise. Prophets arise. Kings arise. None are worthy. Right. You see? We come to the New Testament with this. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Yeah. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Yeah, you see that David the king that's where we had left off seems great but it's not what we need we need more and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah and Solomon the father of Rehoboam and Rehoboam the father of Abijah and Abijah the father of Asaph and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram and Joram the father of Uzziah and Uzziah the father of Jotham and Jotham the father of Ahaz and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josh, uh, Josiah, and Josiah the father of uh, Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of uh, uh, Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, who's asleep. <laughs> some of you 14 and Azor the father of Zodok and Zodok the father of Achim and Achim the father of Elud and Elud the father of Eliezer and Eliezer the father of Mathan and Mathan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph listen closely the husband of Mary right, of whom Jesus was born who is not called king although he is He's called Christ. You see? All of that, right? You get to your daily reading in Matthew, you look at that, you think, oh my goodness, it's a good lineage, and then you, you flip over, right? Right, you flip over, you, you pass it by. This is why I wanted to read all that and stress it yet again. We had seen something in that genealogy before of God working, and that was just a short genealogy. What we find here in Matthew 1 is the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. Just look at those. Read about all the stories of those names you've read the Old Testament. Right? Right. And Matthew saying it as well is saying this. That whole big story that seemed like it was going nowhere with the rise and fall of Israel has all accumulated to this point and now we see the face of Christ. Amen. It's all come to this point 
this glorious point of Christ through that lineage, through sinful men, this glorious thing has shone upon us. It is Jesus Christ. You see? And He ties it back directly to Abraham. Something that He had to do, right? Matthew in his day, if he was going to go to the Jewish people and say, listen, the Christ has come. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus of Nazareth. They would say, show me. Right. He's coming through Abraham. Show me. Here you go. Right. 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 Here's the lineage. Right. <clears throat> this, the, not only this, his resurrection. Right. But this is one of the things that proves that he is indeed the Christ. For the sake of time, we won't go there. But if you want to see this connection, the Apostle Paul uh, gives in tying to Abraham. Abraham was promised that through his seed, those nations would be blessed that this head crusher would come and that redemption would come through that, right? Right. Paul takes that. You can read it for yourself. It's Galatians chapter 3. It's beautiful. Galatians chapter 3 and 16 there, I believe it is, is when he actually says it. But he says that that promise that was to that seed, right, was not seeds, or I believe the ESV translates it offsprings, right. but offspring, offspring, but seed. What is Paul saying? He's saying that we think, and he's speaking in Galatians as these Judaizers say, circumcise yourselves. Paul says, you think it's going to come through this cumulus, right? This cumulus of people, right? That through Israel itself, the world is going to be blessed. And it's actually through the man, Christ Jesus. Right. These promises are all through Him. Everything is through Him. And by extension, all those united to Him. Yes. You see? All those united to to him. And that's why Paul can say something like in 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 that all the promises of God find their yes in him. You see? Right. All these promises that God had made, I will do this for you, I will do that for you. How you become a covenant keeper is in Christ. Right. The benefits to all those things find their yes in him and in him alone. Right. And for that we praise him. Right. Well, there's more there, but. For the sake of time, let's just pray together. (laughs) Father, we see You as You have revealed Yourself in Your Word, Lord, and You are indeed glorious. We thank You that You have condescended to love us when we were unlovable. We thank You for the blood of Christ that was so much better than the blood of bulls and goats. We thank You for the office of Christ that was so much greater to the kings and prophets. Give us strength now to trust in Him and Him alone. In His name we pray and amen. Amen.